Friends, we do now turn to the preaching uh, of the Word. It's a great joy to see so many of you here. My name's Douglas. I'm one of uh, the pastors here. And we, uh, over the past few weeks, have been looking at songs in Scripture that point to Jesus Christ or are about Him. And we previously looked at two from the Old Testament that looked forward uh, to the coming Savior, the one that God would send that would bring the fulfillment of all of God's promises for salvation. And this week and next week, we will look at two New Testament passages that highlight who Christ is. And we will look at what this means for our life here in Ras al as Christians and for many of us as members of this church. With that said, if you're not a Christian here this morning, then this is very much for you. We believe here that Jesus Christ is God and that he came to live here as a man and to die to take the punishment that sinners deserve. And so this is important. This is relevant for you this morning. There is no one here that is perfect. We all need a savior. And so I do urge you this morning to listen to what this passage tells us about who Jesus is and why he has come. It is his glorious coming that we are amazed at and that we celebrate at Christmas time. Now we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians today, chapter 2, uh, verses 5 to 11. So really just six verses for our time together. As you're turning there, I'd encourage you uh, in your Bibles or on, uh, yeah, right there in your Bibles, right between uh, Ephesians and Colossians. As you're turning there, I want to tell you about one of my favorite shows uh, from a few years ago. There was a British version, version of the show and an American version, and probably uh, others. It's a show where a large company, so maybe McDonald's, Subway, H&M, Carrefour, one of the bosses leaves his big, fancy office all the way at the headquarters and chooses one of the far-off, tiny little stores to go and work in. He joins the average workers, often in disguise and just works in the store for a week. People disclose all their their loves and hates of the company, thinking that the boss is just some sort of new and naive employee. They don't realize who they are talking to. After the week with some sort of highs and lows, some people doing a great job and others not so great, uh, the boss takes off his fake mustache or his wig and reveals who he has been the whole time. He is the undercover boss. You see, their true identity has been hidden. They never stopped being the boss or the owner of the company, but just for a little while, they humbled themselves, leaving where they were and choosing not to make use of the privileges and the power that they had. Even though those never ceased or stopped, they just go and serve alongside everyone else. In our passage today uh, from Philippians 2, I think we see something of this in Jesus. We read how the King of kings and the Lord of lords leaves heaven where he is fully God and comes to earth to live as a man, never ceasing to be God, but until he chooses to reveal his godliness is hidden from view, but never removed, never forgotten. He is always God, but he also very much came to earth as a man to live 
and to die and to rise on the third day, he humbled himself to come and live as a man. Let me read our passage for us. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 6. So have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Friends, as we look at the text, I think our main point for our time together is, as we follow Christ, our lives should be marked by giving and not receiving. As we follow Christ, our lives should be marked by giving and not receiving. I think if you look at the text, it breaks very simply down the middle, uh, the first half looking at Christ's humility in verses 6 to 8, and secondly, at his exaltation in verses 9 to 11. And so our points are just going to follow that same structure. And point one is now in flesh appearing. Now in flesh appearing. And point two, to thee be all glory given. To thee be all glory given. So Paul is writing here, friends, to a church that he is very fond of. There's a church he cares about in Philippi and one that he wants to see grow in health. This church was the first church that he established in Europe. And he is writing this letter to encourage them. He's writing this to strengthen their faith. Having been established for a while, uh, he is not wanting the church to relax and be complacent as things were going pretty well there. But there was and there is always room for disunity and issues to, to creep in as a church grows together. And life happens around them, but especially as individuals begin caring more for themselves than the brothers and sisters to their left or to their right. There are many, many ways a church can divide, many that are really unimportant. But Christian maturity and obedience to Christ guard against this. What does it look like to grow in Christian maturity, to love one another and to seek to honor God above ourselves? If you're a member here, look around this church. These are the brothers and sisters that you have made a covenant with. These are the believers in particular that you are called to love and put above yourself. Paul works through this book and first with himself in chapter one and then also Timothy and Epaphroditus in chapters two and three. But the focal point of this book and for our lives here at Rack Evangelical is who Christ was and what he did in coming to this world and humbling himself. It is in Christ that we find our only savior and our perfect example 
on this earth. Jesus is not just a good example. He is that, but it's only through Christ and dependence on him that we can live humble, sacrificial, and God-glorifying lives that we are called to and that he demonstrates for us. This is where we land as we get to our verses for today. This is where Paul has led us to at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. For our life together as Christians, for it to work well, for us to care well for one another and to glorify God, friends, requires humility. For Paul and for us here today, we see the need to look to and depend on Christ. So we come to point one, now in flesh appearing. Verse five says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul is highlighting that if the church wants to live in peace and unity and wants to care well for one another, then they have to look to Christ. The NIV translation of this verse, I think is helpful. It says, your attitude should be the same as Christ." He's saying this right at the beginning so that everything else we're about to read shows us how Jesus did what Paul is suggesting, how Jesus did this perfectly and how Jesus is our perfect example and our sinless savior all at the same time. If you are a follower of Jesus, then your attitude towards God and others should be the same as each other. It might not always look or sound the same, of course, but as Christians, we should strive towards the same goal. We should be aiming at the same prize and running together in the same way. Friends, if you don't love God or perhaps you don't love his people, I think the Bible is clear that honestly, you may not be a Christian. If you don't love God and you don't love his people, I think you might not be a Christian. If you don't care about gathering with God's people to worship our living God, then I think something might be seriously wrong. I think it's really easy easy for Christians in, in every age to set our sights too low and to just follow lesser examples. How often in our culture are we too quickly amazed by the example of celebrities at the the Waldorf Astoria this week there was a large event called the Global Citizen Forum where many philanthropists many people who got together and they share ideas about raising money and and helping the world and I saw a poster for this event and it looked some like some sort of Star Wars poster with many faces looking back from the the smaller lesser known faces all the way to a big face at the top you had kind of DJs and, and models along the bottom, and then next, uh, stacked up on top, you had uh, philanthropists and other big business owners, and then right at the top, with her face glowing, smiling back at us from this poster, you had the actress Eva Longoria. This event, although well-meaning and maybe even helpful at times, is looking in the wrong places. Friends, Eva Longoria and other celebrities are not the answer. Celebrities and culture and social media do not provide the answers for our lives here as members of this local church. From the outset, Paul is saying, guys, you need 
to look at Jesus. How did Jesus live? How did Jesus humble himself? How did Jesus glorify God? Why did he do what he did? As a people here, we are to be characterized by the way we look to and depend on Christ. And how through that, we pursue love and unity among us. After this initial exhortation in verse 5 from Paul, this is why in verses 6 to 8, we now turn specifically to Jesus. Look at this first phrase in verse 6 with me. Paul is laying out this glorious song of who Jesus is and summarizing what the New Testament, or at least lots of it, teaches us about Jesus. It says, though he was in the form of God. What is so helpful for us here is that we see who Jesus was before the incarnation. We see that before Jesus came as a man, Jesus was God. Jesus was God. From here, the form, sorry, here means what something is. Does not mean like or similar to or close to. Before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that that starry night that we all know in a manger, from eternity past, he was with God the Father. The Bible says this. John 1 reads, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and written, and without him was not anything that was made. Jesus himself knows this and recognizes this in John 17. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our triune God, three distinct persons, one undivided nature. There is one true God, friends, and there are three distinct persons. This we must be sure of, but they do have distinct roles and relationships. We see how in creation and redemption, each person of the Trinity is involved, being of one essence and nature, but they are distinct in what they do as part of this one process that God is doing. In the incarnation, we see how this is a work of the triune God. God the Father sends the Son. The Son humbles himself and comes to earth As a man, as we see in Luke 1, we know from our Christmas story that it's the Holy Spirit that comes upon Mary and causes her to be pregnant. The story of redemption is the same. As we consider Christ specifically in our verse, we can be tempted, I think, to skip quickly over the fact that as Christians, we accept that Jesus is God. But we must pause to remember that God existed Christ existed as God in perfection of relationship and union in the triune God, like nothing we have ever experienced or can fully imagine or even comprehend. He was not a prophet, and he was not just a nice guy. Jesus is God. I think that when we begin to imagine who Christ was and what he had always been, we then begin to deeper appreciate the incarnation from incarnate, meaning in flesh. What his coming as a man really means and why so many 
go beyond describing this just as an act of humility. I think rightly they speak of Christ's humiliation. To be God, to be perfect, to be love and to be holiness without time or measure or space and in perfect unity and without need or lack. But to be the I am, the Lord, to be God and to have have never not been in all magnificence and glory and to know everything and to have all things and need nothing. This is Jesus, friends. This is who Jesus is. How often do you consider who he really is? Our verse is very clear. Jesus is God. Do you believe that? Do you think about that? Do you consider that regularly? It should cause us to worship, friends. I think, incredibly, we then read how Jesus used his privileges. Verse 6 carries on. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, I served at a, uh, a youth camp a few years ago. And if you were serving uh, on the stage, then you were given a meal pass and a special red sticker on your meal pass that meant that you could head right to the front of the buffet line at lunchtime. It also meant you got in early at the showers in the morning. Well, guess who got a sticker? Yeah, you guessed it. Me. Man, I was so pleased. I had been given this privilege and I was so excited to use it every day, to pull it out whenever anyone wanted to see it. And I took great joy in waving that sticker and just walking to the front of the line. Just to the front of a buffet line. Now this is really just a silly example, but how crazy is that? Having just heard about who Jesus is and how for all eternity he had been holy and perfect and the second person of the Trinity, we now read that he did not count equality with God, something that he already had, he did not count it as something to be grasped. Maybe think of this as something to be exploited or something to be kept for his own advantage or just waved in the face for his own benefit or as a way of skipping through God's plan of redemption and how he had to come and die. But Paul is reminding the Philippian church that Christ had everything. He was God and he still chose to not back out of what he had to go through in the incarnation. The incarnation happened as Jesus did not demand the rights and privileges he had as God. He did not earn or achieve those rights. They were his. This was the way things always had been, the way things had been forever. But this all changed. Friends, what about you? Have you considered the rights and privileges you have here? Maybe as a member of this church or maybe in the job you have or maybe because of where you are from. How are you using those? How many of us? So enjoy the lunch pass that we have been given with this tiny little sticker on it. We place so much value and worth 
in how we can get ahead. How? Just one small step at the cost of someone else. Perhaps perhaps you here this morning think that maybe you're too good to clean the floors. Maybe you think, actually, you know what? Serving in children's ministry, that's for other people. Maybe you think getting here a little bit early and handing out bulletins, you know, that's not really for me. Maybe it's just not see as something you can see yourself doing. Or friends, maybe, maybe your time is just, it's just more valuable than everyone else's. Why should you be here at 10.30 like everyone else? My time is more important. Friends, Jesus left heaven. He left heaven and regarded himself as nothing for our sake. Perhaps we should consider the comforts that we find too hard to leave behind. How do you think about what you should be able to do or where you should be able to sit or where you should be able to go for a job or go on vacation? Or what are you willing to do? What do you think you deserve? I think there's a really good heart question to ask ourselves. Have a think about that this week. What do I think I deserve? And why do I think that? As we turn to verse 7, I hope you feel the contrast in this verse. I hope you see the shift. It says, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 7 opens, I think you'll agree, with a potentially strange phrase. Jesus emptied himself. Did Jesus just stop being who he was? Did Jesus descend as a man and then take off his kingly, heavenly cloak, his divinity, and leave it in heaven? No. We know that this would be against all scripture, what it says of Jesus in his divinity and also in his humanity. This follows on from his choice not to use his privileges. Jesus never stopped being God, but so lowered himself. So lowered himself. We see in the text taking the form of a servant. That in this, he was emptying himself. Humbling himself. Lowering himself. He was still the king of the universe. He was still the lord of lords. But now we see the father's plan for redemption. Then this, from the will of God, beginning in heaven, then sees Jesus choose not to claim his rights as the son of God, and the second person of the, the Trinity, and continues with Jesus emptying himself. Emptying himself by becoming a servant. I think we see a key and, and helpful word that comes up three times in our text. I think it's helpful, it's important. I think the use of the word form here helps us see, as I said, with Christ's divinity, it is who he is. When we see the word again, The same is true. Jesus is God in verse 6. In verse 7, we see that Jesus is a servant, taking the form of a servant. It is a key part of God's redemption plan that Jesus becomes 
a man. And so the verse carries on. Jesus is born in the likeness of men. Friends, the incarnation has happened. And verse 8 carries on again, being found in human form. The third use of form. Friends, this is who Jesus is. We see it right there. Jesus is fully God. And Jesus is fully man. We cannot fully understand in our human minds how this has happened or even its full significance. But this is true. This is what the Bible teaches. If he was not God, then he would not be able to to live and die and resurrect as he did. And he would not be worthy of our worship. If he was not fully man, his obedience would not result in many sinners being made righteous after the sin of one man, Adam, that led to the condemnation of all men, all people. This is every one of us. Friends, this this is heavy. This is important. Key doctrines like this are vital for our faith and are part of the armor that God gives us when we're living in this world. They are well worth wrestling through and understanding. They are worth your effort and your time. It was so uh, encouraging this week to speak with a member here who just during uh, the COVID lockdown had said it had been a very strange but a very sweet time as she was able to invest her time wisely by studying the book of Romans, by attending Bible studies and listening to sermons. Friends, following Christ, reading and studying his word and getting to know God more is well worth it. There is so much rich treasure to be found. As I think you'll agree, this morning's verses are exactly that. As we continue in verse 8, we read how Jesus' humbling continued. Who through obedience to the Father in his flesh, he was lowered and suffered It says, to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Not only did the Son of God come as a baby and grow up into a man entering into our dark, we all know it, our dark and sinful world. But then we read how he was tortured, whipped, stripped, and then led out to his death. This Humbling for Jesus was all of him, everything of him, his whole person. We should feel the sharp contrast here. Death in our minds after all we've heard should seem ridiculous for the king of kings. Let alone death on a cross. Slow. Drawn out. Embarrassing excruciating, disgusting. This was the cross. Only reserved, friends, for the very worst of criminals, the lowest in society, those no longer welcome in this world. So we began at the the very heights of heaven this morning. We have now reached the very depths of worldly despair. We cannot know what it was for the father to turn his face away from his begotten son, yet we know that it was love 
that took him there. In his perfection and obedience, he took on my sin and the sins of the world so that many sinners would come to know him. Would through faith accept his free offer of salvation to all who trust him. But oh, did he suffer? Let us not miss. Let us never forget that Christ's humiliation culminated at the cross. Christ's humiliation culminated at the cross. I think it's easy, I've known this, for, for us to fall out with other believers. Perhaps you've fallen out with someone about what day of the week we should meet on or who should or shouldn't get the vaccine about which Bible study you should go to. Even good things, I think, can become twisted like how much someone gives financially. Maybe you think someone isn't giving sacrificially enough. Friends, unity is a gift from God. And the elders praise God for the unity we see among our congregation. But unity is always a fragile thing. And there is much that can disrupt it. When we consider what it meant for Christ to take our sin on the cross, everything else should begin to fade away. How are you humbly serving and loving other believers here? What would this look like in your life? Maybe it looks like an extra 10 minutes in the car to give someone a ride. Perhaps it is giving financially to the church in a sacrificial way. For some, it might be offering to help someone in need or instead of just judging from a distance. For others, it's just crossing the room and saying, hello, welcome, what is your name? Remember all that Christ has done for us his perfect example and his perfect love demonstrated on the cross that has made a way for many sinners to become sons and daughters of righteousness now our slightly shorter and simpler second point is to thee be all glory given in verses 9 to 11 to thee be all glory given in verses 9 to 11 Verses 9 to 11, you'll see are just one long, incredible, action-packed sentence from the Apostle Paul. Look there with me. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So we see, we see the, the, the subject shift from Jesus to, to God. And now we know, uh, now having reached the, the dark depths of humanity, we see the name of Jesus begin to soar. Praises rightly rising for the Son of God. He is truly God. And his humiliation all the way from the cradle to the cave only serve to demonstrate his majesty. How only he could do what he did, conquering sin and death, taking on himself the wrath of God and bearing the weight of sin and shame, reversing the curse that so many sinners may have life in him. That is why Paul starts verse 9 with therefore. 
That is why we sing, O come, let us adore him. That's why we sing, to thee be all glory given. What is his rightfully, truly, what he did not grasp for on earth is again given to him for all eternity in heaven. We see that Christ's humiliation is now the exaltation who was a man, not a man before, has become a man as Jesus in flesh, God with us, that this name is to be given to him. This name, this special name for God from the Old Testament that Jews would not even speak because it was so holy. We see this name given to Jesus Christ. Friends, there is so much packed in this single verse, this single sentence, but it's not difficult. It carries with it significance, authority, history, promises, promises kept, prophecies fulfilled. It's weighty and it's clear. It's like holding up a large diamond and as you hold it up and you stare, it says, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. There can be no mistake. It is simple. That is why Paul, and as we heard Emmanuel read earlier, is referencing the verses from Isaiah 45. This part of Isaiah is about nothing else other than God saying, I alone am God, only I am to be worshipped, and one day before me, Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess who I am. And on that day, I will be their savior and their judge. God is saying this here in the Old Testament around seven or 800 years before Jesus. Paul is then taking these words and saying, yes, exactly what God said 800 years ago. This is also Jesus. Jesus is God. This is how we are called to live as Christians today. We are called to live with Christ as the Lord of our lives. This should be the defining characteristic of your life here on earth. But what does this look like? I think it means two things. I think it means worship and it means service. I do think that it means daily dying to ourselves, our own fleshly desires and our own fleshly views of ourselves, what we deserve, how we deserve worship. That should mean we are people who are regularly studying our Bibles. And I specifically say studying. I know many people read the Bible. I want us to be a people who study the Word of God. I do think we're also meant to be devoted in prayer. In prayer, we bring our worship to God. And we submit our lives humbly before him, even when we don't feel like it, even when we're not sure how to or exactly what that means. We cultivate a dependence in our hearts. That means we are oriented towards God and not to ourselves. Friends, be encouraged. This is a process. For many of us, this is not overnight. This is a lifetime. This is a habit. And we ask God's help in this. In Christ, we see what it means to live for others and not for ourselves, but more importantly, but not separately, what it means to seek God's glory over everything else. We're called to to humble service, to put others' needs above your own. And church, 
This is something that has truly shocked me since living here. The ways you care for and love one another is such a great joy to see. As one of the pastors here, we have to deal with lots of the junk, lots of uh, the sad and, and hard things that happen in our imperfect lives. But also, the flip side of that is, you guys are incredibly quick to come and tell us of the amazing ways that someone has served or loved you. We get to hear more of that, I think, than anyone else in this congregation, and that is so deeply encouraging. Whether that's giving rides to someone to the airport late at night or early in the morning, or nights of prayer happening at people's houses, or meals for someone that is sick, or people just staying behind helping to clear up the quiet and faithful work of so many of you. I want to encourage you, friends, that the Lord knows and he sees all the, way, the ways that you care well for and love one another here. I want to encourage you to not stop doing this, to, to press on, church. Now, Christ deserves our worship and praise, and we are called to serve one another, to die to ourselves. We humbly leave our own individualism at the door. The Bible is clear that as Christians, we're called to live together as God's people, as part of a church. In the New Testament, we don't see Christians living apart from a church. Christ died for his bride so that broken, hurting, and sinful people like me and like so many of you could join together to encourage and serve and love one another and more importantly, point each other to God and what has been achieved through Christ's death. What we're doing here week in and week out, Friday morning and all through the week is not insignificant. As Christians, we're called to live in unity and humility under the Lordship of Christ. And no matter your background, no matter your position at work, no matter whether you're male or female, whether you're 18 or 80, if you have trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've been baptized, then you're welcome to join with us at Rack Evangelical. We want to care well for you. We need you to care well for us. We want to do life together so that none fall away and many reach the prize of eternity with God, getting a full taste of what Jesus left behind so that we, through Christ alone, by faith alone, can spend eternity in glory. Friends, unlike the, the undercover boss at the beginning, Jesus does not leave his heavenly headquarters to just come for a, a few days to observe and to judge and then disappear. The undercover boss comes for himself, for his own interest, to spy and to deceive. Friends, Christ came leaving heaven and becoming a man so that he could live here as a perfect man, as a sinless savior, as the suffering servant. Finally, at his most humble point, dying willingly for sinners on the cross. It was there that he took the punishment you deserve. It was there that the wrath of God was satisfied. We know the grave could not hold him. And on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death. 
Jesus, friends, had to come as a man to take the punishment that all men deserve. And each of you has been born in sin. Each of us naturally turns away from God as we want to make everything about ourselves. How often do you consider yourself before others? It is easy at Christmas to think about gifts, to think about what, I, what will I get? How big will it be? Will it be what I ask for or will, it, will I kind of have to pretend? But never once do we see Christ putting himself first and his own interests. Romans 15 is clear, for Christ did not please himself. Never once do we see Christ considering himself before the man or woman sat before him or the crowd that was following him or the sinners sat here this morning. Just imagine if he did. It would have been so easy for Christ to, to hurry his childhood or take a break from his ministry or to maybe skip the beating he received or silence the mocking voices that he heard or to end the punishing torture he endured. But he didn't. Friends, the Bible is clear. One day every knee will bow before Jesus and one day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I urge you, trust in Jesus. Ask him for the gift of faith. Repent of your sin. Follow him for your whole life. This is the great gift he holds out to many sinners. Christian, the beginning of our verses for this morning are correct. Our attitude and our lives should be lived for God. Our lives too should be characterized by giving, not receiving. Consider Christ's perfect example of humility here at Rack Evangelical. Lift high the name of Jesus. Live for him and consider well how you might serve and love those he has placed around you.